All righty. So this is the podcast. What is it called again? Oh, that's right. Talking about death will not kill you. It's been a long day. Um, it's Lisa and I am on the line via Zoom, which is thing because we're in lockdown in, in New South Wales at the moment with my friend Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Hi. You doing lovely? I'm doing really well. We've already had a, a 10-minute chat about our cervixes and all that other stuff, so we've gotten that stuff out of the way prior to death. <laughs> oh, I'm so honest, it's ridiculous. Um, but, yes, I, I've, I've invited you on the podcast because uh, mainly you're lovely to talk to, but you also uh, – I, I won't start talking about – that's probably the main reason I asked you on the podcast is because you have um, – interesting funeral plans so to speak that we'll talk about towards the end so okay. we'll get into that a little bit later but firstly sure. um i just wanted to ask you so rough i mean you don't have to give me a play-by-play but how how have you gone with death in your life have I'm, i would assume you've lo- everyone's lost someone important to them but how does it go for you um i was pretty lucky and didn't lose anybody myself until I was oh about 30 I think that's really good Um, that's a good run yeah I mean I'd been to funerals but not very many but they weren't of loved ones um actually no I hadn't been to funerals my father-in-law's was the first one I went to yeah um which in a way was sort of an easy way to ease into things because um you know I cared for him but I wasn't you know like he wasn't a huge part of my life yeah um and so you know it was like a bit of a gentle start to the whole death thing yeah um the only thing that I found sort of weird was the fact that um one of his daughters um had chosen the funeral music and it was just strange choices given the kind of man he was and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, that was the only thing. I mean, my husband was really upset, obviously. Um, But, yeah, it was a sort of stock standard, you know, run-of-the-mill sort of funeral really. Yeah. The next one... Um, and the one that, you know, affected me more was my maternal grandfather. Yeah. And he actually died on the operating table um, from having had his bowel nicked while they did a um, colonoscopy. Oh, you're joking. No. Um, now, yeah, understandably he was in his 80s, but... Um, it's still oh. not not something you would expect. No, and I've, I, it's funny that you should say that, actually. I spoke to somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was now, but I was talking to someone and they, they were booked in. Oh, that's right, the, the gentleman who grooms my pets, he's booked in okay. to, get a, to get a colonoscopy. We were only chatting about this yesterday. It's so funny. It's serendipity. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, oh, you know, it's just a, it's just a uh, run of the, run of the mill colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. And, but every well, procedure has risk. I mean, I don't want to scare people off from getting tests done that they need because most of the time um, it is a safe procedure. I've had endoscopy and colonoscopy um, years ago when being checked for bowel cancer. Um, 
And I couldn't even tell after I woke up that I'd had it done. Seriously, there was yep. just no, you know. Yep. Um, so it was, a, it was um, out of the blue and an unusual thing to happen. Um, but, yeah, it was a shock. Yeah. Um, and I only ever had one grandfather mm-hmm. because my dad's father died before I was born. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, so I, was, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents while I was growing up, um, particularly after my mother started working. Um, so I would spend every school holidays with them and uh, <clears throat> go down to their holiday house at, at Mollymook, um, which was just brilliant, great way to, to grow up. Yeah. Um, so I was really close with my grandparents. Um, so... When my grandfather died, it left my grandmother, also in her 80s, um, living on her own for the first time. And we knew that she couldn't do that. Mm. Um, And so my husband and I sold our house here in the Blue Mountains and moved to the Gold Coast to live with her and look after her. Wow. Um, Yeah, which... A huge life change. Um, <laughs> Blue Mountains to Gold Coast, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a whole range of things went on um, that changed my life during that time. Yeah. But um, And Nan and I, oh, I loved her. She was the only person I'd ever had in my life who loved me completely unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And she was like four foot eleven, and just like this tiny little wrinkly face. She's just gorgeous, so cute. Uh, like she used to shop for fur shoes in the children's department because her feet were that small. She was just gorgeous. So jealous of people uh, like that. I know. I got a huge size ten. Oh, yeah, me yeah. size eleven. I'd kill for kids' shoes. They have the best range oh, yeah. ever. I know. Um, but now you know, I'm in sensible shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, so we were living with Nan and um, it was lovely for her and my husband to get to know each other well um, and he'd never really had a grandmother before that, so that was, you know, enriching for his life. Um, and once a month she used to go, my uncle used to come and um, pick her up and take her back to his place um, where um, he and his partner lived which wasn't that far away, probably about 20 minutes away. And she'd spend the night there with them. And then he would take her shopping for the tiny amount of food that she wanted to get and bring her home. And it had been raining and the roads were slippery. And going around the roundabout on the way home, um, his car ran off the road and ran into a telegraph pole and broke his sternum and killed her. Oh, Jesus. Um, and that was about 18 months after we'd moved up there to look after her. Yeah. And during that time, she'd had her cataracts done and her knees replaced. So she was trotting around like a, you know, healthy little thing. Um, yeah. So you just don't expect somebody in their 80s to die in a car accident. No. And that's when I lost it Uh, and basically had a massive breakdown. Um, 
you know, I, I, in hindsight, I've always had periods of depression, mm-hmm. um, but this, I, I lost it and I couldn't even choose what to have on my toast for breakfast because I just couldn't make decisions. Mm. Um, it was it was pretty horrendous. Me and myself, um, so I'm just, just flashing back to my own things. Every person I've lost, it's because of it, illness has taken them from me. I've yeah. never experienced someone taken away by a, an act of fate or someone else's hands. Like that would be tough. Yeah, it was. I mean, given the fact that, you know, we'd moved up there to look after her, um, she was doing much better than she had been because she could see properly again, which meant she was more confident in her walking. She'd had the knees done so that she had less pain, all that sort of stuff. You know, she was doing all the physio stuff, you know, to make her, you know, more confident and, you yeah. know, she was back to taking her dog for a walk and, and all that sort of stuff. And so she had a good quality of life. Yes. Even though she was in her 80s, you know. Yeah. Um, she still had all the faculties. I mean, she was going deaf, but, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was the shock of that happening, that yeah. I think, and also the absolute grief. You know, I still get upset mm. um, because of who she was, you know. Yeah. And um, so that, yeah, that really, that again changed me really a lot after after losing her Mm. um so that took a long time for me to recover from um several years and um yeah it it basically was the beginning of of me changing the way i looked at the world yeah yeah Uh, the the death of a loved uh, the death of someone who's so pivotal to your life uh, or played such a big role in your life does it does ultimately change you and and you're forever not the same person anymore whether it's a chemical change in your brain I mean yeah. I'm sure that is what it basically is but it just it's almost like every cell in your body has to accommodate and and, and adjust and you're not the same person you were back then well, I, you don't realise until later on um, how much of an influence somebody's been on your life until you actually, you know, you finally sort of like pick the pieces up and go, oh, that's why I do such and such or that's why, you know, I like this or that. I've always loved Art Nouveau and Art Deco, um, arts and crafts era. Mm. And I realised it was because um, the house that my grandparents built was built during the 1930s and it was completely Art Deco house. Yeah. Like absolutely. Um, And so, you know, everything from I still have pieces of the, um, of her china that were um, her wedding gifts and they're classic Art Deco. Yeah. You know, Mm. so you know, there's a rug on my lounge room floor that was theirs that they bought um, from, I think it was David Jones back in the 30s. And, um, yeah, so she's still part of my life basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely when you have those things. 
Yeah, and I mean, I don't have any bad memories regarding her in any way. And considering how much of my childhood I spent with her, um, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I can't awesome. say the same. I can't say the same thing for any other relative. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, don't think I could even say that about my own mum, and she was like, my, she's my biggest boss, and I honestly don't think I could ever say that we we never had a bad word spoken between us. We fought like cat and tooth, so. Yeah. Thing, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, that's pretty unique. Yeah, that is, isn't it? Mm. Uh, um, I mean, I was very lucky to have her um, because my other grandmother was a complete opposite. Um, and when she died, hers was the funniest funeral I've ever been to, and it was unintentionally funny. Okay. It was just, it was, it was like a B grade movie was, she was just bad you're painting the picture in my mind it's just epic. oh look okay my family the the genes run very strongly in my father's family and i i've never really been close to my father's family and um he was the oldest in a catholic family of five kids yeah um so and they were desperately poor my grandfather had worked on the docks and there was a strike and at the time he had four children they lived in a house that had no running hot water Mm. yeah so we're talking like not just broke but like poverty poor yeah anyway so the strike's happening and he's a married man with four children so he breaks the strike and he becomes a scab. And his fellow workers um, beat the living crap out of him and he couldn't work for months. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know whether it was his parents or my grandmother's parents basically said, okay, we know how broke you are. Um, give us the eldest which was my father. Yeah. And we'll put him through Catholic school and he'll become a priest. They didn't have much choice. They still had three other children that they had to, you know, feed and, and clothe and all that sort of stuff. So my dad went off to live with his his grandparents, which means that they were of Victorian era. So therefore he grew up with a very interesting way of looking at the world. Yeah. And, of course, didn't grow up to be a priest. <laughs> he became a policeman. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he became a cadet, a, a police cadet at 16 and then a, an actual cop at 19. Wow. So that's a whole, whole other story about, you know, undiagnosed PTSD and depression and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so he also grew up with the whole Catholic guilt because he was the only one that got the private school education, blah, blah, blah. So he was the oldest. Um, Then he had two brothers and two sisters. Um, One of his brothers at 16 knocked his 13-year-old girlfriend up. Right. And so they got married and had four children and all that sort of stuff. That uncle died 
died of, finally died of, I think, um, liver cancer, but he'd also gone through bowel and stomach cancer as well. So I remember you talking on one of the previous episodes about um, going from 90 kilo down to 45 kilo. Yep, Yep. that was mum. Yep. So my uncle had looked like um, same sort of body type as my dad, which is essentially um, Fred Flintstone. Yep. So he went from that and I went and visited him in hospital um, and I can't remember which of the cancers that he had at the time, but you could smell him before you could actually see him because mm, he yeah. had control of his bowel. Ah, okay. And I didn't recognise him because quite literally, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, he actually looked like um, one of the Auschwitz concentration camp survivors. Yeah. 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 It changes the whole structure of their face. And Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He just looked like, look a, like a, yeah, a skin-covered co- skeleton. Skeleton. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. really. It was a sh- such a shock. Yeah, it would um, be. If you don't see it gradually happening, it would be an absolute yeah. shock. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last time I'd seen him, he looked like basically, um, you know, a middle-aged version of, of Fred Flintstone. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, so so he died, um, and then there's an, another brother which I won't go into because I don't want to end up in trouble legally for I don't know yep. what they would call. Yeah, um, it's all true, but you don't want to repeat it. Yeah, um, but basically, um, he died, and that just left my dad the eldest, and the two aunts. Um, And he doesn't talk to one of them anyway. Um, So my my grandmother, oh, I'd forgotten. Okay, so the the gene thing runs through my my dad's family, and so that means that all of my female cousins look like various versions of me over the years with fat, thin, blonde, brunette, straight, curly, glasses, no glasses, the whole whole thing. So, <laughs> it's like your yearbook, but in person. Oh, oh God, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, my grandmother was not a nice person. Yeah. That's putting it mildly. She, yeah. She made my, my dad's life a living hell. She was an ungrateful, unhappy, bitter old woman. Yeah, I can relate to that, yeah. And I I was relieved when she died mm-hmm. because of because of what she did to dad emotionally. Yeah. Anyway, who was bloody, you know, terrific eldest son in the Catholic family, you know, typical of all that. Anyway, so <laughs> my husband and I get to the um, where the funeral is going to be and yep. I'm not a religious person. I'm um, agnostic. And my husband wasn't a religious person either. So we're sitting in the car. We both still smoked at that stage. I've been off the smokes for about, I don't know, eight years or something. Um, Yep. And uh, anyway, so we're sitting in the car, which was an empty car park, um, and waiting for people to arrive and, you know, trying to 
trying to work out who is who as they're getting out of the car because I hadn't seen any of his cousins in decades. Yeah. <laughs> so realising that, oh, my God, they're all different versions of me, um, which I think was quite disconcerting for my husband. <laughs> it would be. Fucking <laughs> time warp. Jesus. <laughs> it was really funny. Anyway, so we've all got the same <laughs> smart sense of humour as well. And they all smoked as well. Oh, so we're all standing with <laughs> So we're all standing around in this car park smoking away, um, being smart asses and all sorts of stuff. And it was weird because all of the cousins sort of gathered together and all the aunties and uncles gathered yep. together. Oh yeah. Um, the high school reunion, everybody groups yeah. into groups at funerals. There is no differing, they're just the same protocol. Exactly. Yeah. And the weird thing is it continued on once we went inside the church. Mm. All the aunties and uncles were on one side and there was only one auntie that was on the side with the cousins and that was somebody who was basically what we refer to as an outlaw. You know, they're no longer married oh, yeah. in the family, you know, but she's oh, yeah. there to support her daughter, you know. Yeah. It wasn't because she liked my grandmother. It was she was there to support her daughter, you know. Yes. Um, anyway, because so once we all realised that we all shared the same sense of humour, that's when the trouble began. <laughs> I wish there was video footage. You know how some people have video oh, footage of funerals? I feel this, like this needs to go onto the YouTubes. This would have made a, an equivalent to um, four weddings and a funeral. Oh. <laughs> it no, was a ceremony. Awesome. unintentionally hysterical. Oh. So for a start, um, Nobody, I don't think anybody actually planned the funeral. All they did was just find somewhere to, to have the ceremony, all right? Mm. So they've gone to, because my grandmother didn't go to church. Um, so number one, we're in a church none of us have been to before. Yeah. Number two, the priest had never met her before, never met any of us before, knew nothing about her. Mm -hmm. So all he's got is he's got nothing to work with. <laughs> so he's doing he's doing the generic sort of, you know, oh, mothers are wonderful and, you know, they, they love their yep. children. Blah, he's working blah, with what he can, yeah. And can I yeah. just say, just as a, as a clarification, a lot of this happens at pretty much every funeral, but someone is there giving the the um i want to say mc i know it's not an mc but you know what i mean the person who's conducting the ceremony yeah. um yeah. it gives them a bit of a backstory gives them some information they sit there and they talk about that person i mean as and i got, did at my mum's like, funeral i don't know that anybody did that all they did was say um oh, i forgot that they, all, yeah all yeah minimal information so number 1 he's polish um, number two, never met any of these people before, no, knows nothing about the deceased. Yeah. And anyway, so none of us actually picked up on it initially. But, you know, and of course I'm not Catholic. I, I didn't know, you know. It was, you know, the grace of blah, 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 the grace. Yeah, da, it's da, all da. that church shit that you kind of skim over and, and go into la-la yeah. land, yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it's all God stuff, you know, whatever. It doesn't mean much to me. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I finally realised that he thought her name was Grace. Oh. <laughs> her, name, her name was Gloria. 
Oh. <laughs> so it gets worse. <laughs> uh, so one by one, I'm sitting about, I don't know, about four rows back. So I'm sitting behind cousins and I've got cousins behind me. Mind you, there was only 15 people at the funeral. Okay. So a nice close um, affair. So there was only like family yep. and one friend and it was a friend of my father's. So, you know, that's big, you know, just goes to show you the kind of woman that she was. Yep. And uh, anyway, so he's talking about Grace, blah, blah, blah. Once I twigged, I noticed in front of me, not, not the aunties and uncles, but my cousins were all coming to the same realisation. Yeah. <laughs> that poor priest had no idea who he was talking about and that Grace in his mind was the one in the box. But we're all thinking, no, honey, that's Gloria. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so he's going on about how what a wonderful mother she'd been and we're all thinking, bollocks. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so we the, um, the ceremony comes to an end and we walk outside and, of course, you know, all the cousins immediately light up a cigarette and the only male cousin that came to the funeral actually said, that's the longest time I've ever spent in her company. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, so we're she's all sort fucking of stone cold Austin. She's dead. Yeah. That's the longest. This, my God. Yeah. Why yeah. would you so, go? No. Um, he was doing obviously doing it for his for his parents' sake. Oh, um, that's funny. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So Did he think her um, name was Grace. After all that, I guess I didn't know her name was Grace. But it was Gloria. <laughs> We were look. We were making jokes about it, and of course, we're trying. Because the our our parents, like the, our aunties and uncles and stuff, um, they're all upset, but we weren't, you know, because it was like we we're just seeing the hysterical side of it. And yeah. I don't even know that they picked up on the whole grace thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we're all, we're all the cousins are all standing around talking about what a load of bullshit it was, and you know all that sort of stuff. So it gets better from there. Oh, we really? Go off. Oh god, we go off to um, the cemetery for the interment, and we're all standing around, you know, all this uneven ground, blah blah blah. And I noticed now my my her husband, um, my grandfather, died in his um, late fifties. I think he was fifty eight when he died. Um, so he was already buried there, and she was going to be buried on top, which I. I nudged one of my cousins and I said to her, I said, do you realise that, you know, the grandfather is down there pounding on the, like, the top of his, uh, <laughs> of his uh, I go, no, no, I died young to get away from her. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put her on top, I'll never get from underneath. I know. And my husband's going, stop laughing, stop making jokes. It's, it's, it's inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. That just sets me off more. So the cousins and I are continuing to laugh. And then I looked around to her neighbours and all of them are what I call alphabet surnames. So obviously <laughs> oh, right, yeah. they're not Anglo-Saxon types, right? And the kicker is... She was one of the biggest racists I'd ever met. Nice. <laughs> and, I thought, 
Karma got you, bitch, because now you're there, eternity, right next to all of these. All these non- and shit. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking neighbors. My eternity next to all these fucking ethnics. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so all that bit's over, and we're walking back to the car, and I really felt sorry for the priest, you know, because he'd gone through all this shit and he's got all these weirdos, you know, younger people because I was, uh, I think, now I was, no, not younger people. Some of my cousins are a lot younger than me, but I was probably in my early 40s, I think, yeah. by then. Young compared to the other demographic that were at the funeral. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so I went up to him and, and shook his hand. Um, you can tell it's pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, and uh, I said, thank you very much, you know, um, appreciate your your time and effort. Um, and I said, and I'm sure Grace appreciated it too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm a smart-ass bitch. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. I'm surprised that the song when you didn't exit the, the, the chapel was Gloria. Gloria. <laughs> No, none of my aunties or uncles have got a sense of humour like that. Well, yeah, obviously they didn't even fucking tell the priest anything, let alone plan a song for the exit. I know, I know. It was just like the most flat generic ever. Um, so the odds you come out of a funeral giggling—that doesn't happen very often. Oh, it was the best afternoon. After we went back to, (laughs) we went back and had lunch, you know, and drinks and stuff with the cousins and aunties and uncles. Um, and I had a lovely catch up, and that was the last time I've ever seen. Her. Yeah, and you find that wakes are always a lovely thing. Oh, I was you have you walk away really happy, and you think, man, this is wrong that I should be walking away really happy from this. Someone died. It it it, it ends up being well, an excuse to catch up with everyone else because you you turns out sometimes you don't see people unless they're at a funeral. The thing is that there's two times two types of being happy coming away from a funeral yep. there's the wasn't that a beautiful funeral oh yes and you no know, all of that sort of stuff and you feel at peace and you're happy with the way that you know they were remembered and all that sort of stuff yep. and then you've got the ones that you're sort of just happy that they're dead and that you had a nice time with the other people that were there it's like the <laughs> yin and yang of funerals yes. yeah exactly yeah. there is no in between it's one or the other it's clear cut there are no 50 shades yeah. of gray it's just black and no. white right yeah, exactly. Mm. So um, that was the funniest funeral um, experience I've I've had. Um, yeah. And my nan's, I think, was the worst as yeah. far as the, the loss and the grief. Um, and also because my mother chose the music and it was all about her. Oh. It wasn't a reflection of my grandmother at all. Um, and that's what I didn't like about the music that my sister-in-law had chosen for my father-in-law because it wasn't a reflection of him. It was her idea yeah. of him. You know? Yeah. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't listen to the music that my mother chose for either of her parents was inappropriate. Oh, really? Um, so I just, yeah, I just wish that people would actually do what was right for their deceased one do you think she had an idea though that what they would have wanted for their funeral do you think that was relayed to her so that she had an idea or she just decided to go i don't don't think 
I don't think they were the types that would talk about stuff like that. Yeah. Um, See, I think that that, ge- that generation mm. and also wouldn't wouldn't have come up in conversation. Whereas you and I are the sort that do talk and think about these sort of things and yeah, um, quite vocal in in what I want. But I'm also quite vocal about my whole life. So um, people have no. Um, no opportunity to say, oh, I, d- I didn't realise what you wanted. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there's no recourse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't like it when people make it about them because it's not about them. No, absolutely. Um, so other funerals that I've been to um, have been mostly the parents of friends more recently. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I'm... In my mid fifties, um, and unfortunately, it's it means that you know my age group, our parents are all dying. Yeah. Um, so I've been to some funerals for that, um, and to be honest, they've all been beautiful funerals. Yeah. Um, my friends have done amazing jobs with choosing the right words. Um, the right tone and the right music that is a real reflection um, of the people they've lost. And they've been beautiful and they've been um, a great celebration of the life of those people. Can I say I envy you that you're in your mid-50s and doing that. Uh, My first friend's parent funeral, I was, uh, I would say, mid-20s. From memory, uh, actually no, early twenties. Uh, it was before I even had Natalie, so it was early twenties. My eldest, um, yeah, and uh, I've had a break since then, but then had uh, my own, and then I've had two two friends from high school lose their parent in the past, I'd say two years. Mm. So yeah, to to go to that to go to that age, seriously, that's really good. I I would <laughs> I would kill for that. <laughs> Yeah, look, I am really lucky. Yeah. Um, And so other than my friend's parents, um, I need to give a little bit of a background um, without going into too much detail about my mother. Yeah. Um, My mother was not a good mum. Mm-hmm. And I chose to stop contact from her um, about 25 years ago. Yep. 25, yeah, about 25 years ago. And um, there was lots of reasons and um, all justified. And it took me five years to get over the guilt of being what others could see as being a bad daughter for choosing to do that. Yeah. I got over it and I was fine. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry it took you five years to, de- to deal with that. Oh, but I was dealing with a whole range of other things, um, including the loss of my grandmother. And that's, okay. I, didn't, I didn't cut contact with my mother until my nan had died because it upset nan that I didn't like my mother. Ah, I see. I understand. Yeah. And I, I will never understand how somebody as sweet and loving and caring as my grandmother produce something. Could produce, like yeah. yeah, I've got the, I've got um, the vice versa. Mm, 
So yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's funny, isn't it? Well, I think a lot of a lot of it came from um, my grandfather's side. Yeah. Lots and lots of mental illness um, on his side of the family, mm. um, and in my opinion, my mother was a a sociopath, mm-hmm. very much a narcissist. Yeah, and, uh, a lot of that going also, around at the moment. Yep. Um, and so there was justification for me protecting myself from basically a toxic relationship. So um, I found out that she died when my father told me. And my parents got divorced when I was 14. Right. But you still and, um, kept in contact with your dad? Dad and I got on like a house on fire. And, yeah. And um, there was my mother and my sister who were two peas in a pod, both physically and psychologically. Yeah. And dad and I, and I look exactly like my father did. Yeah. Um, and I have more of his personality, thank goodness, than <laughs> hers. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do have touches of her in me and I try really hard to not let that, you know, be a, a larger part. Um, sister. Um, told my dad that um, my mother had died mm-hmm. and apparently she had put it in her will that I wasn't to be told that she died. But um, What a ridiculous thing to put in your will. I know. It just shows what um, a fantastic person you are or are. <laughs> well, um, I think she was pissed off that it was me cutting the contact and how dare I. Oh, yeah, you got the last stuff. word. So she, that's her way of getting the last word, essentially. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Uh, but Dad didn't think that was right and thought that I should know, so he told me. Um, and to be honest, for three days, I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. It, like, it didn't bother me in the least. Mm-hmm. There was um, no loss. Yeah, that's right, because the mother that I had wanted um, never existed. Yep. Um, so, and the mother that I had was no longer in my life and hadn't been for a couple of decades. Uh, and after three days, I just got angry. Mm-hmm. And that was basically anger at, I mean, intellectually I knew years ago that I would never get the apology for her neglect um, and her behaviour yeah, that I, I deserved. Yeah. And so I knew that, but, but when she died, it yes. meant that absolute line drawn in the sand, this yeah. is it, I, it just won't ever happen. Yes. So, yeah, the I hope, was just... The re- hope was gone. Well, it, yeah, it was just like the reality of it was that no chance. Yeah. So, yeah, I was angry for a long time. So given a bit of background into my dad and dealing with his death, which was the hardest thing I've been through, um, dad and I were great mates right from the word go. And it wasn't just because I looked like him, um, but, you know, there was just something there. Like he was the one who, you know, took us places um, he's the one that taught me how to play board games, 
he and I would watch TV together, um, whereas my mother really wasn't involved in the same way. Um, so, yeah, Dad and I just really enjoyed each other. And as I got older, I didn't see much of him because, as I said, my parents divorced when I was 14. So I'd spend, as a teenager, I'd spend Tuesday nights with him and, you know, we'd have dinner or watch a movie or go to the drive-in when they were still drive-ins and and watch stuff. And um, so, yeah, he sort of shaped me in, you know, some some circumstances. Um, and then um, lots of stuff with life meant that we weren't in the same area together. So um, when he retired from the police force, he bought um, a farm and um, lived out, out west. And we'd already moved to Queensland by the time, um, basically around the time I was 30. Okay. So we still, you know, got on like a house on fire and we'd see each other a couple of times a year and we'd talk, you know, fairly frequently. Um, anyway, so after, after Nan died, um, Dad's always had health problems and he was diagnosed as diabetic in his 40s. Right. Um, and, you know, he had high blood pressure and, you know, because he was overweight. And high blood pressure and cholesterol and all that sort of stuff. He was diagnosed with having vision problems um, and had lots of laser surgery to try and correct that. And it was all connected to his diabetes. Yeah. Um, which he never really, like he was on insulin, he never really did the whole diet thing properly. Yeah, most don't. <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, he also didn't understand nutrition and, and how these things worked yeah, um, and portion control and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Uh, very long story short, um, once I recovered from losing Nan, um, Dad had a near-fatal car accident um, probably within the two years of losing Nan in a car accident. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, so I came down and, and helped look after him um, for a couple of months after that. Um, and then, I th- how old was I? Um, at some point, we'd been in Queensland for about eight or ten years, I think, because we stayed after Nana died. Anyway, so it was, stuff happened and we ended up, long story short, moving in with dad, moved back down from Queensland and moved in with dad and I took over taking care of his food and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So basically yeah. I was to the point not actually caring for him at that stage but it moved on towards that as yeah. time went on. Yeah. Uh, his health got progressively worse. Um, he had a stroke. Um, which wasn't a bad one, but it did mm-hmm. affect his um, comprehension and cognition and memory to a certain extent. Um, and then he had a pacemaker fitted yeah. because he was having a heart problem. Um, he also had peripheral neuropathy, which means there's no feeling and in, um, 
in your extremities, basically. And uh, for him, it was from the knees down and in his hands. So it meant things like he'd drop his medication. Um, He had trouble with doing buttons up and, and stuff like that. And as time got on, his beautiful handwriting um, started to look less and less recognisable. Mm. Um, he was having trouble remembering places and names um, and names of things. Yeah. Um, and so after testing, we worked out that he'd had another stroke. And, yeah, so things got progressively worse. Um, I had trouble getting him on the phone. By this stage, I'd moved out. Um, right. My husband, my husband had left. Yeah. Basically, ran away from home. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. After twenty-seven years of marriage, I think it was. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Uh, he had a midlife crisis, and you say that like it's an excuse. Oh, no, but that's anyway. just the way. <laughs> Way it was, yeah. Um, and that's a whole other topic altogether. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah. We wish he was yeah. dead, but that's all right. Anyway, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I just, yeah, I just wish he'd told me ten years earlier. Um, yeah. Anyway, so the the reason I'd moved out was I was doing massive amounts of um, worrying and concern about what he was eating, what Dad was eating, and all that sort of stuff. I'd go shopping. I'd be reading all the labels and making sure that it was low fat, low salt, low sugar, you know, all that sort of stuff and healthy and and all that sort of stuff so that I could actually, you know, make him these wonderful meals from scratch and I hate cooking. Yeah. Um, And then he'd turn around and have something revolting and like fish and chips or something like that, which he shouldn't have been eating. Yeah. Uh, And chocolate and God knows what else. So I basically said to him, look, I'm putting in all this effort and you're not making any effort at all, so why am I here? Yeah. Because I I basically I got the shits with him and said, you know, I'm doing all the fucking hard work and you're you're undoing it all. So there's no point. Yeah, it's a waste. No point in being here. So, So I moved out. And, um, yeah, I continued to see him and talk to him and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I was trying to ring him and I couldn't get an answer. And the phone was engaged. And it's unusual for him to have long, like hours and hours of a phone call. And it was night time, so I knew he wasn't out because he couldn't see to drive at night. Yeah. And... Anyway, so I got a bit worried. Now, I live about 40 minutes from where he lived. And uh, so I asked a girlfriend who lived only five minutes away, could you pop round and he won't hear you if you knock on the front door because he's hearing impaired. Can you go around and knock on his bedroom window and get his attention and tell him I need to make sure that he's okay? Anyway, so she came, comes back and said couldn't couldn't get any, you know, response. Any, um, Response at all. So by this stage, I'm panicking. And I asked my, the housemate I had at the time, um, if he would come down with me because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what I was going to be facing. Came down and here he is on the floor where he had been for 18 hours. (sighs) He'd gotten up 
to go to the toilet and his blood pressure had gone berserk and he'd had a heart attack. Oh, heart attack too. Awesome. So given the fact that he was diabetic and he'd gotten up to go to the toilet and he was there for 18 hours on the floor, of course he'd wet himself. Yeah. So he was freezing cold, wet, on the floor, 18 hours without drink or food as a diabetic. And he was trying to get to the phone to call me. Yeah. And pushing his body along the bedroom floor meant that he actually, because he had the peripheral neuropathy, he couldn't feel that he was wearing away the skin on his heel. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, and of course, he didn't want to call an ambulance. So I had to have an argument with him um, once I got there and let myself in um, about, yes, Dad, you will be going to the hospital and, yes, you do need to be checked out and, yes, I am calling the ambulance. Um, but, of course, that turned in, into an argument. <laughs> so basically I ended up crying and, and that got him to change his mind. So get there and, yes, he's had a heart attack. Okay, fine. Um, so eventually after a few days, I think it was, about a week, few days, um, he was let back home and the um, community nurse would come round and tend to his foot and had almost got it fixed. Mm. And anyway, so he had a stroke and this one was a little bit worse and back to the hospital and this is where things started to go to hell. And because he'd already had a stroke and because of his sense of humour, and be, which is bizarre, and because of his hearing impairment, um, he had trouble communicating with staff and doctors. So I was there a lot of the time mm. um, trying to be his interpreter. You know, for yeah. somebody that spoke perfect English, I had to be his interpreter basically because I not only had to have it, um, I would say to them, he's hearing impaired, but even that wasn't helping because he, what they were saying, he didn't quite understand, not because he was stupid, but because the stroke had affected. affected. Yeah. 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 So I, having dealt with him for the previous years from his first stroke, I understood and I also understood the way Dad looked at the world. Yeah. Um, having been brought up by his Victorian era parents, uh, grandparents, and also having been a cop and all that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was difficult. Anyway, the nursing staff um, were doing a rubbish job. No, they were doing a shit job. They were doing a shit job of his wound care, of his heel. And I'd come in the next day and he'd been showered with, the um, bandaging on because he was supposed to be bandaged from his knee to his toe to protect his heel and they would have showered him with the bandaging on and it would have been left wet oh fantastic on his open yes. sore or i'd come in another day and he'd bandaged from the knee to the ankle and from the foot to the toe so leaving the, <laughs> the, the exposed now, the problem is because he had the peripheral neuropathy. He couldn't he feel couldn't it. Feel he didn't know. No. When he was moving his feet in the bed, 
that the hospital sheets were scraping the wound bare again. Oh, you got to be joking. Oh, it's not surprising. So I'm dealing with dad you know, getting worse day to day, the frustration of dealing with the public health system. Mm. I was also trying to um, study and open my business mm. and deal with my sister all at the same time, all this stuff going on. Yeah. And I also wanted to declutter and reorganise his bedroom so that he wouldn't have the same problem of falling down, you know, so that I could have his phone next to his bed and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, another long story short, he ended up getting uh, an infection in the bone in his leg and had to have his leg amputated. Oh, God. So we were dealing with the idea that, okay, um, I was going to have to rethink how he was going to live independently because with only one leg, he wasn't going to be able to manage the stairs at his house. Yep. So then the idea was, okay, we'll find a house to buy that accommodates both of us and I'll move in and look after him um, because I've, I used to have to take him to all of his doctor's appointments anyway. So yeah. and, uh, anyway, as soon was apparent that he wasn't going to be able to manage um, a prosthetic leg and that he'd have to be in a wheelchair. Uh, and that just made a whole range of things worse. Yeah. So that that meant that I then had to declutter and empty and get his house ready for sale. Yeah. And again, battling with my sister. Yeah. So still studying, (laughs) still opening my business, visiting Dad on a daily basis at the hospital and then going and and, emptying his house, tore my rotator cuff at the same time um, because I was lifting stuff I shouldn't have been. Uh, My car died uh, about 12.30 at night coming home after after Uh a long day. My phone died. Um, My laptop died. Oh, dear (laughs) gosh. Yeah, it was not a good time. So my depression just just started to go way through the roof and my anxiety and social phobia and all that sort of stuff. Um. Anyway, so things just got progressively worse and I found a nursing home that I thought would be appropriate because I thought of the company that it was would be, you would think that it would be the sort of place that there would be a higher male ratio than female than the average right? and that they would be you dealing with certain types of people which would fit in well with dad. And on paper and visually it all looked great it was the worst decision I could have ever made Mm. and uh, well yeah I know but you know um so it eventually led to between dealing with the management of them um and all the other stuff going in my life and dad's frequent trips to hospital and all the other stuff going on with him um you know, things were getting worse. His kidneys were failing. 
he started to get edema. Um, you know, his vision deteriorated, his comprehension, cognition and memory all got progressively worse. And um, the situation with the nursing home was horrendous. Like the, all the things that you hear about during, you know, the inquiry into aged care, you know, the nursing staff weren't equipped, weren't yep. enough staff. Um, he was being left um, in wet incontinence pads and all of the things. The food was revolting and not healthy. And um, Dad had a trip, the last trip, into hospital and had a catheter inserted and came out of the hospital with the catheter. Now, they have to be tended to daily. And because it's the penis mm. and dad being a very modest and private person about Absolutely. and I wasn't necessarily too keen to be, you know, normally I would check on on how his, you know, how his hands were, um, how the stump was healing and all that sort of stuff. But this was an area that I was not comfortable dealing with. Yeah. So I didn't know that there was a problem until there was a UTI. And he'd had multiple UTIs before. Um, and so I was familiar with that. And this was worse. Anyway, so he ended up in hospital with this catheter, came out, and the nursing staff at the nursing home weren't taking care of it. Mm-hmm. To the point where I got a call to say that he needed to go back into the hospital because of this. Mm. Um, And again, long story short, he'd gotten to the point where he no longer recognised me. And he ended up with gangrene of the penis. Oh, dear God. So for this man to have gone from being this big, strong, independent, proud man Mm. who'd been a straight copper for 30 years and then a farmer, he'd taken care of his mum all of her life, taken care of his brothers and sisters, taken care of my sister and I, and that's the level that he was reduced reduced to. Yeah. So to have that on the death certificate. Oh, really? That was put down as cause of death? No, it was one of the the secondary, you know, like the other things wrong with him. Right. And and the fact that they, they, on the death certificate, they tell you, you know, what was the cause of death and blah, 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 and, and basically how long they'd been suffering from that. And the part about the gangrene of the penis, mm. it wasn't just a day or two. It was weeks. So. Yeah. We all, everyone knows our health system issues and our um, care of the elderly in nursing homes and all that sort of stuff is subpar and that's just disgusting. I'm sure there are many people 
who have suffered the same fate because of that stupidity and lack of care. That's just appalling. There was, if I had known, I would have been documenting everything. Oh, of course. The amount of the frustration of every time Dad went into hospital, which ward was he on this time? Which room mm. was he in this time? When were when was he going to be seen by you know this doctor? Because he had multi multiple things wrong with him. Yeah, so you need to see a doctor for each ailment. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. You know, and because I mean you can't tell an, a cleaner from a, a, a nurse to a doctor because yes. they don't wear distinct uniforms anymore no. that we can understand. Yeah. So you know I'd ask staff oh well you'll have to talk to the doctor or they'll be doing their rounds at such and such and if I the only way I would have made any difference is if I had basically lived at the hospital whenever he was in there mm-hmm. because they always they they would take him off hit the medication that he was balanced with and they would choose to do their own lot of medications which would throw his um, blood sugar levels out yeah, and make him 10 times worse. And every time well, we dreaded it, every time him going into the hospital yeah, because then it would take weeks to of his own doctors and, and, and specialists to get him back to where he'd been. That's but silly. Of course the, damage, the damage would have been done during that time. Mm. So his, his kidney function would be worse which means, you know, also his, you know, his diabetes would be thrown out and his vision would get worse and, and all of that stuff. That must have and, been a hard funeral to, to deal with. Well, Dad, having been grown up as Catholic, was no longer Catholic and didn't want a funeral. Okay. When or if... <laughs> When he thought he was going to have to have a funeral, he wanted to be able to say who could and couldn't go to the funeral. Oh. And he'd say, I want so-and-so there, but I don't want his wife. <laughs> have a guest list like at a club and a bouncer at the front. You're allowed, but you're not allowed in. Sorry. You're not on the list. You're not on the list. Fuck off. Yeah. So I'm like, Dad, oh, man, I want that for my funeral now. I need a bouncer. I want a big Tongan black guy dressed in black going, no, you're not on the list. I'm adding that to my funeral plans. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, Dad, no, it doesn't really work that way. Um, You know, so I said to him, look, you know, we'll do what you want, but, you know, you can't have that. He's like, I don't want a priest. I don't want this. I I really don't want a funeral. Okay, rightio. Anyway, so he discovered... um, I, I told him about what I was planning to do yep. and he really liked that idea. Yeah. And so we signed him up as right. well. Right. Okay. And um, so it was all well and good. I knew his plans and, and you know, we spoke to his best friend and, and her family and it was like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Um, and, you know, it made sense to him and also <laughs> He didn't like the idea of um, my sister and I, <laughs> God, he was weird, um, spending what he th- what he saw as our inheritance on a funeral. No, that's not weird. He's a smart man. 
don't he was like, like gonna, <laughs> he's not going to be there to enjoy it and it's not something that you're going to enjoy it's not a fucking valuable uh-huh. experience Oh no! So, and I mean, I was not looking to the, forward to the idea of a funeral because it meant that I would have to have more communication with my sister, and that yeah. was going to be problematic and blah blah. I was in no shape to do anything so, like so that. Were his plans able to be carried out? Did she not kick up a stink? Well, it ended up having nothing to do with her. Um, when when he died. Um, I rang, I, I should tell you what I'm referring yes. to. This whole time and, um, and everything, and we can talk about it with you. So what, what happened? Um, we were signed, I signed up years ago, and then he signed up after I was talking about what I was doing. And it's colloquially referred to as the body farm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's actually referred to as after, A-F-T-E-R. Yeah. Um, and it's we know the, what after stands for. Uh, I, I can Google that. I can live Google. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's the tax and I can't remember the how That's you say. Right. I'm going to Google it. You keep going. Okay. All right. So it's basically a way for it's the first one that's outside of the US. Yep. Um, it's it's the only one in the southern hemisphere. And yep. what basically what it is is instead of donating your body um, as a, an organ donor, which I had already signed up for, um, you you donate your whole body, mm-hmm. and they use it in a way to for police and scientists and insect people and bird people and and weather people and all all these different scientists. Um, to do research on the effects on the human body after death. And how it decomposes in different situations. Yeah, so basically they put the bodies into um, circumstances which might be a crime scene. Yeah. So somebody's been killed and dug into a shallow grave or hidden under bushes or just left out or mass graves when there's um, some horrific stuff like the overseas, like places overseas that there have been mass graves discovered. Um, And they look at a whole range of things because up until 2016, where the Australian one was opened at um, Hawkesbury Heights, we relied on information um, using pig carcasses because pigs are the ones that are most closely yeah, yeah, bodies. Yeah. Mm. Um, or we use the American data. Now, the problem with that is that our weather system is different. Very different. Um, our soil composition is different. Mm. Insects are different. Our predators are different. Yeah. Um, the whole thing. So the information was never entirely accurate for Australia. For example, in America, because of the type of predators that they have, um, the bodies are stripped, they're skeletonized. Mm. And will often be, they'll often be, you know, quite strewn about as the predators pull parts of the body off. Yeah. Um, in Australia, we don't have those same type of predators. And because of the weather conditions, the bodies mummify. Yeah. So that alone makes a huge difference. 
Um, so what this this after or body farm does is um, they've been overwhelmed with um, donors, yeah, and they've got something like five hundred people on their list. Um, oh, that's amazing. So and the last um, the last article I read said that they had thirty um, cadavers at the moment. Yeah, um, but that might have been a couple of years old. Yeah. Um, and they have different areas that they're working on for research. Um, one just of the to, things that they, just to sure. clarify, AFTER stands for the Australian Facilities for Taphonomic Experimental Research. There you go. Yeah. I can't say the one. Yeah, that was no, the two words. T-A-P-H-O-N-O-M-I-C. So taphonomic, I'm going to say that's what it is. I can only imagine what that means. Yes. Um, so what they've done is one of the things that they've done is they've set up cameras yep. um, and it takes, you know, it takes photos every half an hour. And what they've discovered is yep. um, dead oh. bodies move around a bit. Yes, they do. The arms move from, what, from yep. what I'm reading at the same time. An arm can move completely away from the body and then back down by its side. It's the most fascinating thing I've ever had on my phone. Yeah. It's amazing. So, it's the, the amount of research that they're going to do. One of the things that um, I found most fascinating was um, with sniffer dogs, you know, the cadaver dogs that go looking for missing or dis presumed deceased people, yep. is they're trained to sniff out certain scents. Yes. It might only be three or four different scents yep. in, the, in the range of decomposition of, of bodies. But the thing is that the odour of a decomposing body changes every half an hour. Yeah. So if they're in the wrong time period, the dog is not going to find the body. Yep. So this is one of the areas that they're researching um, to help police and rescue um, find missing, presumed deceased people. So anyway so um, enough on the background of that for the moment yeah so what you have to do is when somebody has died you immediately call the university which yeah. is U uts yeah and let them know that the person has died and then they arrange for the body to be picked up and taken back to the university and then basically within 36 hours the body is at the farm Okay, so I did the right thing and in my massive grief, I rang the university and told them that Dad had died. Yeah. Okay. So the person didn't have access to his file to, for his information, so they asked, asked a few questions and I was sort of calm by this stage. Yeah. And um, giving him the, the basic, you know, and, oh, yeah, what do you die of? Because if they can't take you if you've died from something infectious, obviously. Yes. So explain what he died of, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what operations has he had in the past? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And when I got to the leg amputation, there was, like, silence for a second. They went, oh, he's only got one leg. And I went, yeah. Oh. I said, is that a problem? And they went, well, <laughs> they went, well, they're actually 
studying feet at the moment. <laughs> oh, wouldn't you know your luck? <laughs> so the combination of the fact that he only had one foot. Oh, that's and, racist. And he, it's racist against people with one feet, foot. <laughs> and his weight meant that it was going to be a work health safety issue for their what? staff for, for oh lifting him. So, so, so it was like, fuck, all of our plans have just gone out the window. Oh, no. And it was like, okay, now I've got to reassess the whole thing. When? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I knew he didn't want to be buried. Um, so I arranged for the cremation, um, but we had no funeral. And the idea was going to be because of my depression, anxiety, and, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to cope with a funeral thing mm-hmm. um, at the time. I knew he just wanted to be scattered. Yeah, um, and I thought I'll I'll plan a memorial down the track when I'm capable of of doing that. Um, but basically, it means that um, uh, Dad died six weeks after my mother, um, and that was about three years ago. It'll it'll be yeah, it it'll actually it's coming up to four years, I think. Yeah. Um, and Dad is still in the box in the bottom of my wardrobe. <laughs> so you haven't had you haven't had the ceremony, and no. you haven't scattered. Obviously, you haven't scattered any of his ashes yet. No, because my depression lasted for quite a long time because my oh, yeah. grief. Oh, it never goes away. You have to. Yeah. There, there is like I hold on to my mum's ashes for ten years before I scattered them. So. I feel better now. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, no. She stayed on my um she stayed on my mantle for ten years and then it, it was um instigated by my cousin um spreading her mum's ashes like pretty much okay. months after she passed away and I was like, Maybe I should let mum go because that's what <laughs> mum wanted. And I yeah. did it on her seventieth birthday. So it worked out quite good timing. So I'm sure she would have understood well, that I still had her for so long. Yeah, like dad wouldn't care. Um, no. I- I think, I mean, it went from me um, recovering from the depression, anxiety and mourning and all that sort of stuff, the grief and everything, and then we had the fires. Oh, yeah. And then we've had COVID. Then we've had COVID. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. you know, needless to say, Dad's still in a box in the bottom of my wardrobe because I'm not the sort of person that's going to put him, I don't have a mantelpiece, and even if I did, I'm not the sort of person that's going to have him up on the mantelpiece. Yep. And not only that, the cats would knock him off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got two cats at home that are very, very, they're like little, the one's a ginger ninja and the other one's oh. a tabby ginger ninja and they both, yeah, they both cause havoc with that. <laughs> well, considering the girl, the tabby, um, can actually open every door in the house, uh. um, the ability to knock things off off. Um, flat surfaces is pretty high. A bit of, um, bit of history, so. both the cats that Sharon owns were foster kittens that I looked after from our local pound that I, I looked after until they were old enough to be adopted and then and then Sharon kindly adopted these two siblings uh, now called wow. Finn and Ellie. And, and they I, gorgeous. Just to clarify, I never taught her how to open doors. That was never, <laughs> I don't, 
I teach oh, them to be sure. loving, supportive cats. I never teach them to be little turds. That's just ingrained. That's nothing to do with me. And excuse me, I'm sure one of your kids taught taught them how to unroll the toilet roll too. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I have to say, I'm so glad I don't have foster kittens in this in this time of COVID where you can't get a fucking toilet roll to save your life. But I uh, oh, see that. That's where you went wrong. You know, I've been with Who Gives a Crap for ages. Oh, so yes. just before just before this lockdown, um, actually just before the first lockdown, I'd bought a carton. We use them at um, work. But they actually, they oh, were right. out of, the last lockdown, they were out of stock. They yeah, had, because everybody was telling them about. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they got so, sold out of everything. Yeah. And because I live here alone um, yeah. with my partner, partner coming to visit occasionally um but a, a carton will last me for ages so I, yes. I only just ordered another carton yeah um from the pre-covid carton i got yep. um and i gave away probably about a dozen rolls of that to friends who didn't have toilet paper the first time around yeah um so i've got an unopened box of who gives a <laughs> well don't let ellie hear you because she'll probably go in there and attack it that's what i'm going oh god her and bloody Cardboard boxes, my God. Gotta love cats. Oh, yeah, brilliant. I mean, I was ahead of the curve with the whole um, getting kittens for COVID. You were. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> credit for that one. I don't take credit for a lot of things, but I'll take credit for that one. It was my it was um, my constant Facebook pussy photos that, that pushed you over the line. You and your pussy have, have yep. given me more <laughs> over the years. Oh, we're straying so far off topic. This is becoming a different podcast. Can I ask, is there, do they give you requirements at the body farm? Is there is, is there a prime position of, or optimal body that they want? No. Or is it just because they were doing a study on feet that your father wasn't eligible? Look, do, do you know what? I think the fact that they – I don't think they realised they would get this many donors. Yeah. So possibly they could be they're pickier yeah than, yeah um i mean number one that was the weight consideration because dad was a big bloke yeah um you know he was six foot six foot one and he was built like a like i said fred flintstone yeah you know um and even though he lost weight as he got older um particularly in the last few years he was still a big bloke yeah so you know i mean i i don't imagine you know the whs would have been Terribly happy with anyone lugging his body around. Yeah. Still, though, you know. Nobody nobody had actually, there was nothing to indicate that that would be, you know, a thing. Yes. Yeah. That's going to be something I think I might have to look into because that'd be interesting. I'm sure that this this podcast is probably going to educate and inform a lot of people that this exists if they didn't know already. I'm pretty confident I knew about it. I think I only found out about it because of you, actually, and then I saw a documentary on TV, I think, after that. Yeah, That's there would have been. Yeah. Um, there's plans to have others around Australia because, obviously, Australia being the size that it is yep. and the different kinds of terrain and heat and, mm. um, you know, you can't compare rainforest to desert to, you know, like Tasmania. Yep. Northern Territory, you may as well be in two different worlds. So yes, yeah, and Queensland has the humidity and all sorts of things, yeah. so it's different. So I think the next one is planned. It, it probably, if it hadn't been for COVID, it probably would have already been open by now. Yeah, um, that was that's the next planned one to be opening um, is in Queensland. Yeah, um, 
which makes a hell of a lot of sense. C compare it to the Blue Mountains. Um, and that's the other reason, you know, I mean, me signing up for it. Um, do, you, do you want to talk about me? Yes, please. Yeah, okay. Um, I wasn't able to have kids. So my family and considerations about family, you know, what they would like is not, um, you know, part of my considerations with what my funeral plans were. Um, and I'm not religious, mm -hmm. so that, that was not an issue. Um, I'm also a big old greenie. Yeah. And I know that burial and cremation both leave a, um, a big carbon footprint. Yeah. So prior to working out about the body farm, um, I was going to be um, an organ donor. Yep. And I really can seriously considered looking into um, the idea of the naked burials, which does not mean they bury you naked. That means <laughs> nobody wants to see that. I, I, um, just, I, I want to imagine a guy who rigor mortis has accidentally set in after burial and he just pokes <laughs> up through the ground and there's this little head like a little mushroom. Springtime. <laughs> Um, no, it's that whole idea of being buried without a, a coffin, so or a casket okay. or whatever. Um, they must be something like a hessian sack. Oh, I assume it would be some sort of biodegradable shroud type of yeah. thing. Mm. Um, and the other option which I was looking at was um, these pod things, which oh, yes. basically get yeah, um, and you become a tree. Yes, I've seen them. And it's, as a greenie, that was right up my alley. Mm. Um, so these were the sort of things that I was thinking about beforehand because I thought, number one, there's no family to worry about how they would feel about things so I can choose what I want. Number two, there's no religious thingy that I've got to worry about. Um, and what can I do that makes sense because I'm really interested in forensic stuff I yep. find it fascinating. Yes. And it sounds wanky, but I wanted to do something good for society. Um, you know, I'm, I haven't produced a child who's going to go on and cure cancer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I can't leave a fortune. I tell you this, I've got three kids and I don't think I've got any kids that are going to do that either. So. <laughs> you know, I'm not rich. I can't leave, you know, money to, to charities that's going to make a difference in, you know, much of things. Um, Oh, it's just being so it's, it's just being smart. It's useful. Your body's there for a reason. Why waste it when it could be of use for something well, someone? So many different um scientific areas um and you know, police and, and um emergency services, all of that stuff that they can look at. Yeah. Um I mean so if I, I had just a car thought, that crashed, the front of it was completely smashed in. I wouldn't expect them to destroy the entire car. I'd expect them to use it for parts and someone else who had yeah. a, a boot that needed exactly. a pressing that was the same as mine. I'd just expect that. Yeah. Why are we well, any different? It's not different. Yeah. And apparently you can still be an organ donor and do the body farm as well. That was my um, next question, actually. I wasn't sure yeah. if they... Because they don't yeah. really... Cause they're looking at the that way the body decomposes, but I imagine organs don't play a huge part in that so much. Well, everything does, but you, I mean, I like don't someone, know. I mean, I, they're not, 
you're not going to discriminate because you've got your gallbladder removed or your appendix removed. Like, and I mean, as long as they're not completely emptying you out, like they're not going to take everything, they'll take what's used and they won't, you know, there'll still be stuff in there to rot away. I know that this is fairly graphic, but there's other circumstances where it won't worry me because I'll be dead. Yeah. Um, I haven't I haven't asked this of anybody connected to the farm, but um, even if they needed to have you chopped up a bit and look at just certain parts of your body, yeah. In that in those circumstances, you may not need any of the organs that you know could be donated. Well, so that, why that let it go away? That thought crossed my mind with your father, and I hate to say it because I know it's a loved one, but surely, you know, they would want to see someone who's who in the scenario has lost a leg. Like, why would that be completely and, off the and table? This is what gets me. He had so many different things wrong with him. Yeah. He'd lived through um, prostate cancer. Yeah. Um, he had failing kidneys. He'd had his eyes multiple times lasered. Mm. Um, he was hearing impaired. Um, he'd had the pacemaker, um, peripheral neuropathy, and all the different things that he had wrong with him. Yeah. And surely that you'd be interested to find out, okay, do any of those circumstances make Absolutely. any difference yeah. in the whole process? Yeah, yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, so that's what I'm planning on doing. Um, my partner knows about it and he's fine because even though he's religious, um, he's of the opinion that it's my body, my choice. Yes. So um, so have you registered with them already? Have you notified them that oh, this yeah. is what you want to do? So that's something that someone yeah. would do? It's, yeah. Uh, I think I registered in 2016 as soon as they opened. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that's just a matter of um, if you're with me and I cark it, Please yep. ring the university before you ring anybody else. <laughs> oh, look, I'd like to call an ambulance first just to clarify and, and maybe announce that you actually are dead. I don't want to <laughs> sitting in bushland going, well, that was that was quick. Like, Jesus, she didn't even check me for a pulse or nothing. I was fucking sleeping, bitch. <laughs> I had a panic attack. I'm not fucking dead. <laughs> I've I'm an insomniac and I finally got to sleep. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be narcoleptic and have that wish. Oh, <laughs> you keep getting zipped off to the body farm every three hours. Oh, See, that's this funny. is the thing. Um, I think a lot of people are squeamish about the idea. Do you know of the um, the old story of people installing bells inside their coffins? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, um, that's where the term dead ringer comes from. Yeah. So... People because a are lot still of people. one of their one of people's biggest fears, not mine, um, is being buried alive. And people are one of the reasons why people are reluctant to become um, organ donors is that they think that they're going to get harvested before they're actually dead. Yes, yeah. Well, that's to me that's a wog term where they think, oh, they're just going to kill me. They won't even bother resuscitating me because they just want me for my bits and pieces a very it's a very sort of old school old person way of thinking yeah yeah and seriously i mean if i'm not going to be using it let somebody else yeah but at the same time it's not like they don't have a plethora of other dead bodies to to choose from too like i know organ donation is is always wanted and, and required but they're not going to just cut off life support for someone you know i'm sure there are plenty more dead bodies to come like there's it's a, well, it's, a, it's a booming industry, unfortunately, at the moment. Well, it's actually not. that The 
I mean, illegally, yes, but oh, yes. legal um, organ donation, that's the problem because most because it's an opt-in um, thing at the moment Yeah, and your family can still say no, yes. even if you wish, I wish that when you got your licence or when you turned 18, that, that it was an automatic opt-in and you actually yes. had to, to opt out. out. Yes, because yes. Because that would force people to think about why am I opting out? Yes, yes. And it's and it also requires that extra bit of effort to do so, whereas, you know. And we know that most Aussies are so fucking lazy, they'll just, they don't even change bank accounts when they know they're getting ripped off. Oh, yeah, and you stay know. with the same phone so, provider till they're dead and all that sort yeah. of shit. Exactly. So they're not going to opt out unless they feel really, really strongly about it. And most Aussies were just like, yeah, whatever, mate. Yeah. And I have to say, look, I'm one of those people. And it was only the other day that I was online in my Medicare account claiming something back from Medicare. And there was the, there was the thing on the screen that told me that if I wanted to be an organ donor and I selected yes. And it only could have popped up. But, you know, like I'm 40. That should not should not happen now. Yeah. It should have happened ages ago. I should have been, again, given the choice to opt out, and that should be yeah. a compulsory thing for everybody. We should all be, you know, yeah. doing that. And I, I don't think that um, I don't think your family members should, or partner, or whatever, should have the ability to say no, no, no. Yes, I don't if, understand if that. You've chosen that. If you've chosen that, that's your wishes. Yeah. That's, you know, that's as, that's as obnoxious as saying, well, I know that they're completely against cremation, but I don't want them to be buried, so let's just burn them all up. Yep, yep, exactly. You know? yeah. They didn't know better. I'm going to do what I think is best and I'm going to completely ignore what they want. Well, you wouldn't do that to your loved one if they were still alive, you know, make those sort of big decisions for them if they're alive. Why do would. it for them when they're dead? Well, we know, yeah. we know, yeah. <laughs> We know some people would. You know, I, I've made it quite clear that for me, death makes no difference. If you weren't nice to me when you were alive, I'm not going to go to your funeral if you're dead. And I think people have that same opinion. If they don't respect you when you're alive, that ain't changing when they're dead. So yeah, we all know that's the possibility. Exactly. I mean, you know me. I'm a very, I have very strong opinions. Yeah. Um, I've stopped. I've my language about myself has changed over the years. I used to say I was very opinionated when, in fact, I'm not. I mm. just have strong opinions. Yeah. So yeah. I've got to stop using the negative language about myself, and I think as women we tend to do that all the time. Yeah, well, I was. So, I referred to myself as an aggressive driver and, and someone at work said, no, you're an assertive driver. And I went, yes, exactly. I am, and I'm an yeah. assertive driver. I'm not aggressive. My husband yeah. may differ and- with that, but it's true. <laughs> Well, I I hate to admit it, but one of the reasons why I'm getting car advertising wrap on my car um, is not just to advertise my business. But But to curb your driving style. Yes, I know. I tell you, when I had my car sticker on my my cake business, that did not stop me. And I had one guy pull up next to me and goes, he pulled out pulled out next to me and said, I'm gonna he goes, You're driving a company car. And I went, Yeah, mate, and I'm the boss. Who are you gonna fucking call? Like, seriously. <laughs> call my boss. I'm sure she'd love to talk to you about it. He was the one that cut me off. So yeah, it was quite funny. Oh, well, I th- yeah, I think um I may not necessarily cut people off, but I there's other things that I do that I probably shouldn't be doing and I probably shouldn't be talking about on a on a public forum. No, either. no, 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 no. But we're not going to mention your business, so that's okay. That's gonna remain undisclosed. Exactly. Thank you very much for talking to me today. And 
I've given me a lot to ponder. You've actually propped up other things that I want to follow up now. I want to talk about nude burials and I want to talk about these different things. So I might even get in touch with you again. But thank you so much for talking to me today. It was Oh, that's okay. Um, the other thing that I thought might be of interest um, to you and your listeners is talking to a forensic cleaner. Forensic the people that, cleaner? Yeah, the people that go in after a death has occurred or a crime death has occurred either yeah. um, and clean up the scene. Oh. Like, you know, some, if somebody commits suicide in the home yeah. and there's blood and, and other you know things, and talk to them about what their what their day to day work life is like. And um, <laughs> all I can think of is tips to make it cleaner and easier for them. <laughs> That's where my head went. Yeah, I want to no, talk to one know. of them, and they can tell me the best way to do it. Should I do it in the shower? Is that too messy? Should I do it somewhere else? <laughs> oh, look, I can. I, I over the years with having a mental illness, as you've as you said before, you do give some thought to you know. Would I do it? Yeah. Um, and I've I've ranged through a whole range of options, mm. and because I overthink everything, um, and because I wouldn't want it to be painful or messy or yeah. um, embarrassing or whatever, I've ruled out every option available. <laughs> I'll never commit suicide. <laughs> I know there's really no way of good going, but I'll I'll, I'll end the I'll end the episode on this one way of going because it's it's a nice positive way to end it um i was talking to a colleague at work and he's and i i divulged the fact that i was talking about it with a friend and and usually people recoil from these sort of conversations but he was yeah. right in it and he goes oh i've got a great way and i'm like oh please do tell so he said you um you go at the top of a building and you get some piano wire and you tether it to the building and then you put the uh, you make a, a noose around your neck and then mm. you glue your hands to your head like to the sides of your head, and then you jump yeah. on the building, and then what happens is the piano wire is so sharp, so once once that becomes taut, it cuts your head off, and you land with your head in your hands. No. <laughs> no. Wouldn't that fuck no, everyone up? No. I think it would be amazing. No. because I, mean, I worry oh, about oh. the body not being in pristine condition when it lands. You'd have to land on something soft. But then... There's too many things wrong with that. Now let's just think about because one of the things I'm thinking is when yeah, you know, the whole bladder and bowel thing releasing, right? That's okay. I I no, no, no. I would find that <laughs> truly embarrassing to know that somebody was gonna find me like that. So it part of the way I was thinking about things is if you were gonna plan it. I would have to stop eating and drinking three or four days in advance. No, I just wear the pens. No, I'm not going to no. spend the last three or four days on earth not eating. What the fuck? No. And not only that, imagine what it would do to the people that found you. How fucking bizarre. <laughs> That's that exactly what no, that would completely screw them up for life. It would they would spend so much money on therapy. And imagine if it was a loved one that found you. Oh no, oh, no, no. No, no, no. All right. Well, I'd do it, I'd do it in place. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you know what? Um, very, very quick story before we go. Dad being dad being a cop, his first day on the job, he actually as a proper cop. Yeah. Um he had to. They apparently they uh, bushwalkers had found a dead body, 
Ah. And the cops had to go in and, and retrieve it. And the person had hung themselves from a tree in the bush, down in the bottom of the bush. Right. So that they would so that they wouldn't be found quickly, right? Yep. Problem was it had been there a while. Right. The body was no longer connected to the head. Ah. Oh, but the head would have fallen off too, right? Yep. And Dad's first day on the job was With carrying a badly wrapped head back up a valley. I mean, I've hi- I do bushwalking, I do hikes. That's hectic. You have. To- Can you imagine a young, brand new copper? Yeah, I reckon that's that- why they gave it to him. Welcome to the welcome yeah, to the job. Yeah, because, yeah, because cops have a part of human. Oh, boom, boom. That was dreadful. Oh, Thank you. Tell, tell My you need to <laughs> <laughs> God. Oh, dear. Look, there's so many other things I could talk to you about on this general subject of death. Yeah, yeah maybe we'll have to touch up for another episode. Absolutely, because I can give you some other topics and we can chat away. And I've also right. got other people that I think I might be able to put you in contact with for their. Uh, sounds like their the potential group. is there. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Sharon. I appreciate it. All right, sweetheart. No problem. Take care. <laughs> bye, love. Bye. Bye.